Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you all. I, uh, before we get started, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Colossians 1. We'll read that together in just a moment. I, uh, before we get started, though, I, I want to go ahead and, and just give a word of encouragement and respect to those of you who work all day and then serve in the church as well on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. Many of you don't know us very well. We've been here a few times. And so uh, two weeks ago, I started a full-time position at BOK. And so I've been driving from Skyatook into Tulsa to work all day and then driving home. And so the last couple of Wednesdays, I have found myself, if I'm being honest, not really wanting to go to Wednesday night services. First time uh, in my life I felt that way because before this season of life, I spent 10 years in full-time ministry. And uh, and I've started to feel the uh, the weariness or the tiredness of working all day and getting home and eating dinner and just wanting to relax and not get back out and, and be a part of the body. And so I have a newfound appreciation and respect for those of you who work and yet still um, still serve the Lord in many ways in the local church. So I just want to say thank you for for that. Um, and may God bless continue to bless you in those endeavors. The second thing I want to say is I want to go ahead and apologize up front for this message um, because as you all know, the best laid plans sometimes never work out how they want. So my wife and I were talking on Friday evening, and I said, you know, tomorrow morning we're going to get up. Both of our teams, our, our college football teams, we're big college football fans. And both of our teams didn't play till, uh later on in the day. And so I said, you know, tomorrow morning, this is Friday evening. I said, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up. I'm going to go. I'm going to get up. I'm going to read, uh, work on my sermon a little bit. Then once Noah gets up, him and I will go on a run. I push him in the stroller. We have a little trail that we run. I said, well, I'll go on a run. We'll come back. I'll, uh, I'll finish up my sermon Saturday morning. We'll go to the grocery store, get some steaks. We'll grill those out uh, Saturday evening as we're watching the football games. And about 5 a.m. Uh, yesterday morning, I woke up and I had a migraine. And usually, I get migraines frequently. Um, not, not, not like all the time, but frequently. And so, but usually it's, it's either... You know, just a headache, or sometimes it's not really too bad of a headache, but just some nausea. But this Saturday, I was blessed with having uh, probably the worst migraine I've had in a decade. I mean, I, I at one point, I told Aaron a, I said, if I don't get any better, I'm just going to have you run me to the emergency room so I can get a shot for the nausea and get an IV so I don't get dehydrated. Uh, luckily, I fell asleep and was able to get some rest, but... My, my Saturday was all thrown off, and I did not get the attention to detail to this text that I would have liked. Thankfully, I've preached through the book of Colossians before at one of our ministries, um, and so I'm confident in that, but uh, I would have liked to have spent a little bit more time in our text, and so I apologize to, to you for that. But Colossians 1, 15 through 17 will be our text this morning. We're going to read that together and pray, 
and then we will jump into these three verses. For the sake of context, I'd like to read with you verses 15 through 20. Give us a little bit more, a little bit more context, and uh, and then kind of explain this text um, and give you some implications. I think it has for our lives as Christians. So let's read Colossians 1:15 through 20 together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him, and in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the Firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things in earth or in heaven, making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. Father God, thank you for your word and thank you for your grace. That even, Lord, when we don't have the time or the energy or even the health to prepare, that your spirit and your word is the true power of any message worth its salt. And so, God... And I pray that as I feel inadequate to preach this morning, I pray that your Spirit would fill me. I pray that your Spirit would give me the wisdom of the text to explain it, to bring it to bear on the lives of your people here in Jinx. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would fill our hearts that it would quiet our minds, that we might see the glory of who Christ is. In Jesus' name, amen. This text is what is referred to by scholars as the Christ hymn, or the Christ poem. It's a text that centers on, verses 15 through 20, It's a text that centers on the supremacy or the centrality of Christ. It's a text, though, that some scholars have seemed to think is a bit out of place. In some ways, it breaks the mold of Paul's pattern of epistles and his introduction and thanksgiving and then his prayer, and then usually he gets right to the problem. What's going on in the local church that he wants to correct or admonish? But here in this text, Colossians is unique because after the prayer and after him giving thanks for the faith and the power and the gift of salvation that Jesus has given us, 
he then goes on this beautiful exhortation and explanation of the glory and the supremacy of Christ. So if you look at verses 13 and 14, this isn't our part of our sermon, or this isn't part of our focus today, but here's why I think what, or here's why I think Paul is trying to accomplish, right? Here's what I think he's doing. In verse 13 and 14, look what he says. He says, "He, speaking about God, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness." The kingdom of darkness and transferred us unto or into the kingdom of the son whom he loves in him that's the son we have redemption the forgiveness of sins this is quite dramatic language Again, I'm always uh, surprised and a little bit taken back in Scripture when we look at the language that Paul and Peter and even Jesus himself, but some of the other biblical authors, when they use in the New Testament. I'm always a little bit taken back by how powerful and how dramatic the salvation language is and that at times, if we're not careful, in evangelicalism in America, we sometimes can boil down salvation as just this decision that we make. And, and we kind of lump it in and all of other life's decisions like, where are we going to go out to eat after worship this morning? Or, where, what, what house are we going to buy when the... Interest rates maybe relieve a little bit or the market goes down slightly. And here we see Paul remind them that God has rescued us. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning, brothers and sisters, the God of all creation has rescued you. He has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves, His beloved Son. And praise God for that reality. Don't let that ever become light to you. Don't don't ever let the fact that you once were dead in your sins and transgressions. You were lost. You were living in the kingdom of darkness. And I'm not exactly sure what Paul means by that, but I don't like the idea of me living there. Right? If God gives us the opportunity and the choice to live in the kingdom of darkness or to live in the kingdom of the Son whom He loves, I am glad that He has rescued me and placed me there. So don't, don't let that become arbitrary. Don't let that become light or just something else that you read in the Scripture and then move on. 
in the Son whom God loves, you and I, those who are in Christ, have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And so that that gives us a runway into our text this morning. And here's why I think that's important. Because Paul is writing to Colossae. And if you're familiar with the rest of Colossians, there's this term. And you don't have to remember this, but there's this term that scholars have, have, have kind of coined. that They call it the Colossian heresy. Something was going on in the town of Colossae that where there was kind of this mixture of Christianity and, and, and kind of uh, a Judaism or even a, 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 a wave of Judaism. There's kind of this synchronism that's going on, this blending, this meddling of Christianity and other religions and gods and goddesses in Colossae. And we're not really sure exactly what it all entailed. We only really know what we can uh, kind of get from the letter itself. But we know that, that Christians, these new Christians, were struggling to understand that it's Christ and nothing else. It's not Christ and these gods and goddesses. It's not Christ and the law and the Torah. It's not Christ in kind of new age belief. It's not Christ plus we want to accept other religions into the fold. It's not Christ plus Muhammad. It's not Christ plus Gandhi or Buddha. It's just Christ. He is supreme. He is central to the Christian faith. And the reason why I think Paul wants to put this 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 magnificent teaching on Jesus here is because he wants to remind them that it's not just that Christ has rescued you and that he's forgiven your sins. Those are great things. We should never take them for granted. But he wants to show them here and now that Christ is supreme. That Christ is above all things, and it is all about Jesus. And for whatever reason, sorry, my uh, mic is just not staying. The last three times I've heard, the last two times I've preached here, it's just been perfect. This time, distracting. I apologize. So I want to highlight three things for you this morning. Three things about verses 15, 16, and 17 that I have just found um, in this text, to be so um, glorious. Three things that I think are worthy to bring forth in our text this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, Christ is the preeminent or He is the pinnacle of revelation. For us. Look at verse 15 for me. It says that He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. There's two things to unpack here. He says He is the, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, that's kind of like an oxymoron, right? 
God's invisible, but Christ is the image of Him. If something's invisible, you can't what? You can't see it. It's kind of like, if you remember back to the first time I preached here, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Don't look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And you're like, Paul? Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense because you look at things you can see and things that are unseen you can't actually look at. Again, Paul likes to speak in paradox sometimes. He likes to speak in mystery. But here what Paul is saying is that that God is invisible, right? God is spirit. John says in his gospel that no one has ever seen God. But if we've seen the Son, we can know God. And so Paul says here, he's, he's working from this Christian theology that, 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 we, that we see in other places in the New Testament. He's, he's saying that Jesus is the image. He is the physical image. He is the representation of the invisible God. All the things, all of the perfections, all of the attributes that we read about and find about God in Scripture, Jesus images them to us. He is the pinnacle of God's revelation to His creation. The author of Hebrews, if you have your Bibles with you, just turn over a few pages to the book of Hebrews. we get a similar thought from the author of Hebrews. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, the author says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers through the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him error of all things and has made the universe through Him. And the Son is the exact radiance of God's glory, the complete expression of His nature. We'll come back to that one through three in just a second when we get to a different part of Colossians. But but what I want to show there is that, that the Son, that God the Son... In the man Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact expression. That that word there that the English translates in two words is just and in Greek is just one word. It's the idea. It's a it's an idea of, of a stamp and the idea of that when you carve out or you fashion a stamp and you put it on a hot piece of metal, right? And you press it down, you get the exact, if it's a good mold, right? If it's a good mold. You get the exact image or representation on that piece of metal that you get from the mold of the stamp. It's the exact expression. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus reveals God to us. 
the second part of our of verse 15. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, I want you to hear this word firstborn and not think of it in terms of the um, birth order or in terms of the idea that Jesus was, that God the Son was born like you and I are born. And, and 16 really helps us out, but, we'll, but I just want to explain this word. This Greek word here, you don't have to memorize it, but it's the Greek word protokotos, and, and it has the idea of putting first or preeminence on something, and it can mean first in a temporal sense, right? Like, if you have twins, and they're born naturally, one of them is born first, right? Or, I have an older brother, he was born first in that sense. But it can also mean first in the sense of degree, right? It can mean first in the sense of degree. And I think degree here is what Paul is meaning. He is the firstborn over all creation in the sense of he is superior to all of creation. Jesus Christ, right? Jesus of Nazareth. Born of the Virgin Mary is the pinnacle of God's creation. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God's creation was total and complete. It was the pinnacle of human civilization. Jesus is the preeminent creation of the world. God in the flesh. He is the climax of the created order, and if we had time, which we don't, you would see in verses 18, 19, and 20 that Jesus is the beginning, right? He is the end of God's... Jesus is the capstone or the end of God's physical creation. And He is the beginning of of the new creation. He is God in the flesh, the the finality of God's physical creation and the beginning of new creation in which we are invited to participate in. That is Jesus. The firstborn, the the preeminent one over all of creation. Number two, the second takeaway from our text this morning. All of creation is made to glorify Christ. And this is the verse, as I was looking at this this morning and just reading it, I was just blown away by verse 16. Paul says, For everything, right, Everything, everything, and he's gonna he's gonna make clear that we understand this, right? Everything that we can see, everything in heaven and on earth, everything in space, and everything in every crack and crevice, nook and cranny, every stream, every molecule, every animal, every bird, every organism, every cell in this world was created from 
And there's three things that we learn here in this verse about creation. Number one, in this verse we learn the source of creation. Everything, whoop, there it goes. Everything was created through or from Jesus. Jesus is the source because He is the second person of the triune Godhead. Jesus is the source of creation. Everything was created from or in Him. And then He specifies, right? Everything in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible. It's not just the mountains and the valleys. It's your cells. It's the microscopic organisms that break down dead matter and material. One thing I'm not sure was created by Jesus, though, is mosquitoes. We're still trying to figure that one out. Right? I think that might be the result of the fall and something that Satan bring about. But I'm not sure. But everything, all of life, is created from Christ. Whether it's thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, everything was created in Jesus. The second thing that we learn about creation is that Jesus Jesus is the means. So Jesus is the source he is the, 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 for lack of a better term, He is the power cell, right? He is the, the source in which the world is created from. But He's also the means from which the world is created by. Right? In Romans 4, Paul tells the church in Rome that the God who calls things into existence, right? The God who says something that is not there, now in an instant it's there. And I don't remember a ton of things from my undergrad science classes because I didn't really care about them. But one of the things I do remember from science class is that matter is not created or destroyed. It's simply transformed or refashioned. If I remember that right. So... When we make things as humans, we actually aren't creating something new. We're just creating it in a new way or a new light. But the Scriptures convene something very different about God. He literally speaks things into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light and there was the most powerful energy source that humanity knows and can measure was created by God saying, let it happen. And so Christ is the source, but He is also the means. But here's the thing that really threw... Here's the thing that I was just... My heart was reminded of this morning. All of creation is made to glorify God because Christ is the goal of creation. Look at the end of verse 16. 
all things have been created through Him and for Him. All of creation has been created for Jesus. If you are sitting in this room this morning and you are able to take in and draw breath and exhale, you have been created for Jesus. You have been created for Jesus. All of creation finds its, its goal. All of creation finds its meaning in God the Son. Creation is made to glorify Jesus. Creation is made to glorify Christ. If you are on this earth, you have been made to bring glory to God. To me, that is an incredible truth and reality to dwell upon. That your life, you have been made in the image of God. You have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transform, or transferred into the kingdom of the Son. And not only that, but you are now, <clears throat> you are now in Christ fulfilling and doing what you were created initially before the fall to do. And that is represent Jesus to this world and bring glory to Him. You were made for Jesus and you were made to glorify Him now as part of His new creation. That's our Savior. That's our great God. Number three, the third takeaway from this text that I think is very important. And Gary, in his communion meditation, read a, a wonderful psalm about the sovereignty and the power of God. And Paul reminds us of that in verse 17. Look at verse 17 with me. He is before all things. And by Him all things are held together. What I think Paul is reminding us of here is that He is before all things, meaning that nothing comes into existence apart from Jesus first allowing it to come into existence. But even more than that, he says in verse, at the end of verse 17, that all things by Christ are held together. Let's turn back real quickly to Hebrews 1, because Hebrews, show, Hebrews reminds us of the same thing, but it tells us of how this is happening. Hebrews 1.3, we see that the Son is the exact radiance of God's glory. He's the exact expression of His nature. But then we, we get this. He is sustaining all things by His powerful Word. This word sustaining here in the original language, it literally means that it, He is carrying all things. The entire universe is held in balance by Jesus. 
He holds these things together. So, in a world that appears with our physical eyes, right? If we look to this world, and we look at the amount of starvation, and poverty, and crime, and sickness, and disease, and war that's going on, if we just... If we just Google search the internet, or if we just go to CNN or NBC or Fox News, whichever one, and you just look at all of the the disasters and all of the chaos that's going in the world, it would be very easy for us, and the unbelieving world does this, right? But it would be very easy for us as logical, rational people to say, yeah, God may have cared about us at one point in history. He may have cared about this world at one point in history, But it's pretty easy to look and see that he doesn't care about that now. I mean, if we're being rational people, if we just look to the things that are seen, right? But Paul says here that it is by Jesus that galaxies and stars and streams and rivers and oceans weather systems are held together all things are held together by Christ time the universe political powers institutions governments All things are held together by our great God and Savior, Jesus. That's the supremacy. That's the power of the living God. Two things that I want to bring to your attention that I think these are the two things that this morning, as I was taking our youngest, uh, Noah, we went on a, a little walk this morning and jogged. And uh, these two things, as I was contemplating, okay, the, the so what, right? We, we see what, what Paul says about Jesus in the text, but how does this, what does this mean for our lives? And I don't really like to categorize these things as uh, uh, practical applications as much as what are the implications of Jesus on my life, of this text on my life. Your life, brothers and sisters in Christ, implication number one. Your life was created and bought back for God's glory. Will we live like we believe this? There's a book in the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. And in the opening chapter, one of the characters who was in the book before is making a reprised role visit in this book. And he was gone from school for some time because he was... In the other book, he's whisked away to the Narnia, and he comes back. You don't need to know all that. But 
in, in, in the beginning of the school year, he comes back, and one of the one of the new characters that we're introduced to, she notices a change about this character. His name is Eustace. And she notices a change about him. He says, you were gone, semester, and before you left, you were known to be somewhat of a brat to all of your classmates. And now you've come back, and there's something different about you. And she says, what changed? And of course, he's going to tell her about his adventure to Narnia. But first, I've always been struck by this. And I read this book years ago, but this always stuck in my mind. Eustace looks at her, and Jill, if I'm not mistaken, is the character's name. But he says, are you good at believing things? Because what I'm about to tell you will blow your mind. Dear Christian, are you good at believing things? Will you believe with your mind and allow that thought process and that truth, will you allow it to move down to your heart so that the emotions and the feelings and the affections of your heart are transformed in order that your hands and your feet might live for God's glory? Your life was created. You were created for God's glory. And you have been redeemed. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and planted into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves so that you might glorify Him in all you do. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or a construction worker. It doesn't matter if you're a student in high school or middle school or college It doesn't matter if you flip hamburgers or pick stocks. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a preacher, president or CEO of a company. Your life, if you are in Christ, your sole mission is to glorify God in all that you do. In the way that you speak, the things that you look at on the internet, and the interactions that you have with people throughout the day, and the way you love your family, and the way you speak and interact with your coworkers. If we believe that Christ created us, if we believe that Christ holds all things together, and that nothing happens apart from His sovereign control, then we are free to live for Jesus. We are free to bring Him glory. Who cares what people think about us? Who cares if your co-workers think you're weird because you get up early and come to church and worship a guy that rose from the dead 2,000 years ago? You do it for God's glory. In God's glory alone. The second implication that I think is important for us to take away, and we'll end with this. We mentioned this when we were talking about verse six, verse 17. But in a world that appears to be out of control, we have high confidence that Christ is always in control. In different seasons of life, 
it will be easy for you and for I and for those whom we love to believe that God has forgotten about us. Maybe God, maybe, maybe this comes to the individual level as we believe God has forgotten about us individually or maybe it's uh, at the family level or maybe it's at the, at the church level. And we can look around and we can see everything in front of us and we can see, we can say, uh, I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill. I don't know how I'm going to make that mortgage payment. I don't know how I'm going to buy groceries to feed my kids. Maybe it's job loss. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's news from the doctor that the cancer has came back. Maybe it's that phone call late at night that you never want to hear, but that someone you love is now no longer with us because of a tragic accident. Difficulty and uncertainty can come at a moment's notice. And if we're being honest, one of the first things that that we want to say is, how could this happen? How could God let this happen? How could, if God's in control, this ever happen to me? We can want to blame it on chance or fate or luck. But this text is a reminder that Jesus holds all things together. And if you are in Him, He is holding you. He is holding you. The God of the universe has made you. He has redeemed you. And He is holding you today. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these truths from the Apostle Paul inspired by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I know that these these words were written 2,000 years ago, but they have done my, my heart. They have given me great comfort that even when this life and even when this world appears to be out of control and to be chaotic and appears where everything and nothing is working how we might want it to or how we think it should that you are sovereign that you hold all things together and that we all have a part to play in bringing you glory as you redeem this fallen world back to yourself. So Lord, may you remind us of this throughout the week. May these words from the Apostle Paul be in our hearts as we go to our families, to our workplaces, wherever it may be. Lord, remind us of these truths. Remind us that Christ reigns supreme. Remind us that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your Son. Remind us that we now live not for ourselves, but for His glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.